Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. If you listened to last week's episode, you heard from Brent, who talked to us about icons, about praying, about liturgy, and about wearing a clerical collar. And me and Byron both decided maybe that wasn't necessarily for us, but we kind of understood a little bit better about why Brent would do something like that. It was, it was a pretty fun discussion. And we also, last week, talked about sponsorships. Byron, you specifically wanted to do something real fun, and you were hopeful that this was going to happen. Yeah, did we get a rejection letter? I haven't gotten one yet. We uh, actually, if anything, got a real sponsorship this time around. We have like a for real, sort of. I mean, well, I'll... We, we have a sponsor. We technically can say that we are And it sponsored. is not you. And it's not, not Josiah Jones. It is okay. not Josiah Jones, author of The Millennial Pastor, which is a generous title to begin with because assisted self-publishing means that. And anyway, I'm not going to get into that. But yes, Byron, we have a real-life sponsor, which means we have to adhere to certain procedures and rules and stuff, and I have to read a thing. So even though... This might kill me a little bit inside, and I know for a fact that you are going to make fun of me for it because you already told me you would do so. I need to read this thing. Seems fair. It seems fair. Okay. Here we go. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Yes. (laughs) Sorry, this is not a back and forth. I'm going to read. Well, I'm going to – I have to cut this out anyways and put it over the top. We're probably going to have to cut this out. Are we allowed to make fun of them for this? I don't know, but I'm cool with it because I don't know if they're actually going to listen. It's pretty ridiculous, but I love it. I'm glad we're <laughs> sponsored and all, but just the whole thing. If they're having people, I mean, I get that it's a, I don't know. I get that it's an ad, but I think it's funny for someone who just started a podcast. We're literally recording our fourth episode <laughs> to ask the question, did you ever want to start your own podcast? <laughs> Be like me. I'm a super professional podcast maker. Like, it's our fourth episode. You know what? I'm not I just gonna, think it's funny. I'm not going to complain because they said a thing in a thing that said that we could do this thing. So now you get to eat your words because you thought we were going to get rejection letters and we are now officially sponsored. Okay. I thought you were talking about like other, like, I mean, Anchor's the, 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 the way we record these. So that makes sense to me. And I'm cool with that. We're sponsored. That's awesome. But. I thought you meant like, I don't know, Audible, because they seem to sponsor literally every podcast I've ever listened to. Audible's there. Oh, don't worry. We still might get a rejection letter from Audible. And if that's the case, that's what we, I'm will, talking about. we will most certainly read it for everyone to hear that we were rejected by real sponsors. That's fine with me. <laughs> All right, cool. Anyways, um, I'm just going to say that that's Josiah 1, Byron 0. You didn't think that was going to happen. And technically... We're sponsored now, so we are legit, Byron. Technically, you are correct, which is the best kind of correct. It is the technical. Yeah, thank you. And I, I, I would like to say thank you to, to our interns for helping us find the sponsorship opportunity because we're so legit that we have interns. Right, Byron? Yeah, because our interns actually Google, like, Gmail is our intern. Because <laughs> they, they emailed us. It exists, Byron. They exist. They're real. Anyways. <laughs> this is also, a, uh, before we go any further, I do want to – I'm not going to take credit for what I just said about technically being correct. That, that's from Futurama. I'm not that smart. That's a fun joke. But I like saying that. But I don't actually know that joke. That's the first joke you've said about a pop culture thing that I don't know. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, they're talking about science. And he goes, technically, he's correct, which is the best kind of correct. 
or something along those lines. It's probably a paraphrase, but yeah. So you, you, you could be know. ruining the joke. There's probably Futurama fans out there listening right now that think you Or there's it. someone who's really mad who's like, oh, that's Futurama. That's, don't take credit for the. See, I, I don't know what to do here. I've never been super famous before on a podcast. <laughs> a sponsored <laughs> podcast. Part. We, are, we officially can say we're sponsored podcasters. Yeah. Are we Speaking cool? of, since we're such sponsored right. podcasts, we have a guest on the show, much like we have in the past two episodes, where we invite someone to talk with us about stuff pertaining to faith and culture. Um, so I'd like to introduce Hunter. Hunter, are you, are you here? Can you hear us? Yes, I can. Hunter. Tell us just briefly a little bit about yourself, but don't tell us too much because me and Byron are going to play a fun game to help our audience get to know you better. Yeah, yeah. So my name is Hunter Thrasher, um, and I am 23 years old, and I am, I am in central Arkansas, a little town, about 5,000 people, uh, Greenbrier, Arkansas, right in the middle of the state. Right in the middle of Arkansas. So yep. I've been to Arkansas all of one time in my entire life, all right. and I don't know how close it was to you. But all I remember is I was not happy because I was a 16-year-old, and we were taking an RV through the country, and we were staying at, like, those camping sites, the KOA things. And at the Arkansas KOA, all the power was out, and it was hot and muggy and humid, as, as it is in Arkansas, I guess. Yes, and, it is. And not yep. to mention, they had a pool at this place. But the pool was also hot and muggy because they couldn't do whatever to keep it not hot or whatever. It was miserable. But uh, are you uh, in the really hot and muggy, humid areas of Arkansas? Um, you know, probably probably six months out of the year, it, it gets it's it's always muggy. It's just always like it just feels damp. You know, <laughs> and that's that's about how it is all the time. It, it doesn't get hot, but it just about you know. Five or six months out. Me and Byron grew up in Arizona, and so just damp, muggy is very foreign. And uh, yeah, I sweat a lot. Byron somehow sweats even more than me, so it's uh, my gift. It, 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 <laughs> Byron is gifted. He's blessed. Hashtag blessed with sweat glands that don't stop. It's my superpower. <laughs> but anyways, welcome to the podcast. I'm super happy to yeah, glad uh, to be just here. to tell our audience we actually met for the first time in. Um, Oklahoma City, you yep. and me, and then also Brett, who was on the podcast last, we all met at this cohort of sorts where millennials got together um, and talked about uh, ministry and being involved in the church, which is why I have you on the podcast as well, because I want to continue that conversation. Byron hasn't met you in person, um, but, but we have sadly, te- no. sadly no, but we have technology, and we're going to get to know you a little bit better, That's so right. are you ready for a rapid fire millennial questions time is what we're going to call this are you yes. ready for this we have not we I have am, not yeah. given him these questions we're going to see his answers and answer honestly hunter do not lie to us okay, okay? deal yeah, and i'll just tell you that. real quick that these are just these are questions that would be the stereotype of a millennial so we're going to see how much of a millennial you are and really you're kind of on the cusp so you you right. can maybe skew the results with your answers but here we go it's going to be rapid fire hunter do you live at home or in your grandmother's basement? No. Do you have a job? <laughs> yes. How often do you order avocado on toast at your local bistro? Oh, we don't have bistros in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> so, Fair enough. Okay, point. so let's, let's, let's augment the question. How often have you ever okay. ordered avocado on toast? Uh, two or three in times. In your life? Yeah, okay, probably. Cool. How many scarves do you own? Oh, too, too many, I think. <laughs> have you ever watched YouTube videos on how to sculpt your beard? 
Uh, I actually did that two days ago. That's Are you serious? <laughs> <Yeah>. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so here's here's the funny thing. I've seen Hunter's face. He doesn't have a beard. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm, you know, no shave November. So I grew a beard, kind of. And there's hair on my face, and I, <laughs> I needed to shave it two days oh ago. Oh my so. goodness, that's so amazing! I was fully expecting you to say no. This is even better. Okay, Byron, go. Right. Okay, a couple more. Do you or your wife sell essential oils? No, no. <laughs> well, have you ever used them though? Um, one time on accident. On accident. Okay, and the final <laughs> and last question, and when we then we can decide how stereotypical a millennial or exennial or what, no, you're not exennial, you're zen, whatever. How many bow ties do you own, Hunter? Oh, um, uh, seventeen. Oh or my land. Yeah. Okay, so that last question tells a story, folks. We just might have a bona fide millennial on the show today. What do you think, Byron? How did he do? I think that's pretty good. I mean, you're definitely. The fact that you you don't have avocado toast or beasters in your in your hometown, but you've ordered a couple times gives you a good ding. That means when you travel, you get it. And the number <laughs> of bow ties is very suspicious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was fun. So, Byron, do you have you ever watched YouTube videos on how to sculpt your beard? Because I know you have a beard. Yeah, no, I'm just a man and I do it myself. All I, my life. <laughs> but you own <laughs> you own bow ties, though, don't you? You have a number of bow ties. I have zero bow ties. What? I swear I saw you with a bow tie never, on. I've only ever worn a bow tie for like, oh, I had one in junior high for band that I don't mm. own anymore. It was purple. Um, mm. I've worn one, I think, for a wedding once, but it wasn't mine. It was a rental. No, what I have is Jesus ties. They're normal neck ties with pictures of Jesus on them. Oh, yeah. Those are fantastic. Awesome. They are. But I don't have any, bo- <laughs> I don't own any bow ties. Man, I've literally never ordered avocado on toast, so I must not be a millennial. I haven't either, but I hate avocado, so. Oh, I love them. They're so good. They're and, slimy and gross. Anyways, Hunter, just, thank that's you. official. Slimy and gross. <laughs> Millennial bastard. <laughs> so y'all, y'all are going to be getting sponsored by avocados. Yeah, probably. So. Actually, not. I hope we do. And you know what? I will read every one of those copies. Oh I will do every goodness. time. Like, so buy California avocados or whatever, and then I'll never eat one. It would make the perfect. <laughs> it would make so much sense because. Millennials and avocado toast apparently go hand in hand. So feel free right. if you're listening, avocados from Mexico, to hit us up and we will read. I them. guess I'll be a sellout. I don't know. <laughs> is that what that is? I'll sell out to, to hawk avocados. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, anyway, Sancho, tell us a little bit more. Obviously, you, you um, went to school and you went to school for a reason. Tell us a little bit about yeah. what you're doing, what your job is, and how you were prepared for it. Yeah. So, um, so I, I guess I'll start with my school. Um, I, I started. Uh, I got my undergrad at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville in, with a, a degree in psychology. And then right after that, I actually began in ministry at the at Greenburn Nazarene um, in town. Um, Fayetteville is about three hours away. So actually, in, I grew up in the town of Greenbrier. So I actually moved to Fayetteville to go to school and then moved back to serve in the church that I grew up in, um, which is awesome. I And I love that. Um, it's, it's definitely a unique model of ministry, but I really enjoy it. And it's a lot of fun. Um, and then uh, this past May, I just finished up my, uh, my master's in re- religion with an emphasis in theological studies from Trevecca Nazarene University. And you're working on a, a master's right now, if I remember correctly? Just, just finish that. In, or, yeah. Well, then you're, you're done for now. Are you going to continue on with any more school? Yeah, um, actually, in April, I'm going to be beginning a doctoral program. At that's, what, that's what I was mixing up. I knew you were doing something else. Yeah. 
So you are you are far more educated than either one of the hosts on this show. So basically, we need to ask you how to do all this stuff properly because you got way <laughs> more education than either one of us. And you're how old again? Uh, 23. Man, you've been busy. <laughs> I, I just I really enjoy um, enjoy learning, and I'm I'm at a point in my life to where I can just really um, I can put a lot of uh, a lot of time and effort into school. And I know that it's going to be beneficial kind of down the road. So I'm choosing to do it now rather than, you know, wait, wait and do it. So later. take all the, I mean, you, use your academic um, training all you need to. But I, I wanted yeah. to, with every guest, we kind of put, put to them the same sort of questions. How do you describe church in general? Yeah. And then being that you're kind of on the cusp, you're, you're technically a millennial, um, maybe, but you're also maybe in between us and Gen Z, because Gen Z was born after right. 2000. What year were you born exactly? I'm not doing math in my head right now. Yeah. So then you're, you're right at the younger edge of millennial, but millennials uh, currently, you know, most of the trends, most of the research says that they don't go to church anymore. They don't like church, but right. really want to understand, define what we're talking about when we say the word church. So in your own words, what does that word mean? Yeah, man. Um, I loved what Brent talked about on the last podcast. He, you know, he, he talked about uh, us being the bride of Christ. I, I loved that, that imagery and, and what he was talking about. Um, but my understanding of the church has been shaped so much um, over just the past few years by the Old Testament and looking at um, the people of Israel, like the original people of, of, of the original people of God that I call them the OGs <laughs> kind of. <laughs> but, um, and so that has shaped my view of what the 21st century church um, is supposed to be, is, is looking at the Old Testament and the people of God. And, and one phrase that really sticks out to me when I think of who the church is called to be, who they're supposed to be, is the pilgrim people <laughs> of God. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think that's super groundbreaking. I think we've probably all heard of the church referred to that way before. But um, I was actually, I was doing a little kind of research, kind of preparing, and I was looking up the, the, the word pilgrim. And I found it, the, the word pilgrimage actually comes from the Latin word um, peregrinus, which I'm not like a, a linguist, uh, so I'm not sure if that's exactly how you say it. But what that means is a person who is wandering the world in exile in search of a spiritual homeland. <laughs> and and when, whenever you hear that and, and you kind of apply that to the church, like we are the people of God given this one specific um, purpose. We are given the purpose to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the world, which is what, um, which is the purpose that the original people of Israel were called to be. And so, in this new calling as the new Israel that the church is supposed to live into, um, what does it look like to be wandering the world? Um, kind of, kind of. Um, I love the like the way that we can be traveling in, in one direction. Like we can at, at one time be. Um, the fulfillment of God's kingdom now, while also trying to travel towards, be, be pilgrims and travel towards like the fulfillment of God's reign here on earth and the renewal of all things. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I am with the church is thinking of them as this pilgrimage, as this, as this journey, um, almost, uh, you know, the Nazarenes love the word sanctification. <laughs> like um, <laughs> That's almost, a true story. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, like almost like this, this sanctification of the church um, to where uh, we are being molded by Christ to to be that bride that Brent talked about. Hmm. So uh, the journey that we go on together as a group of people, if yeah. what I'm hearing you say is correct. So then the question naturally that I would have to follow that up, um, I, I love that answer. I think that's great. Uh, so much of what I love about the church is the relationship right. that we have with one another and 
then in turn with, with our creator as well. Right. Um, but oftentimes I see those relationships as the reason why young people, <laughs> namely millennials, bounce and say, so-and-so said such and such. And sometimes it's valid. Other times it's over-exaggerated. You know, there, there's all sorts of reasons people have for leaving the church. Sometimes it's not just because so-and-so took their toys home and got in a fight with such and such. Sometimes it's just theology or beliefs or whatever. Right. But, but I put it to you, I mean, you've been in the church your whole life, and now you actually work at a church. Why, why did you take that path as opposed to maybe the more stereotypical? I mean, you're kind of a stereotype, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but well, how come you weren't fulfilling that version of the stereotype and decided instead of leaving the church to, to dive in head first to be even more involved in it? Yeah. Um, so I, I grew up as a pastor's kid, uh, which I think we're going to dive into just in, in a little bit, but, uh, my entire life growing up revolved around, um, being in the church. And when, when, uh, I have a twin brother, his name's Hayden. And so if I ever say we did something, I'm referring to my brother and I, not like multiple personalities or, or something like that. <laughs> but, well, cause um, you guys did most everything together. then. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, so we, we went to the university of Arkansas together and we had this opportunity to find, um, you know, to figure out, do we feel, do we still feel at home in the church? Is it, is it really for us still, um, and, you know, we, we even tried uh, different churches, different denominations and things. And we at the end of the day, we just we could not get away from um, the presence of God in the church, in the family atmosphere um, that, that a church can bring. Um, being adopted into the family of God is, is um, I think, the verbiage that we use for salvation. And mm-hmm. um, and when, when you put all that together, like I just feel like I am not at home when I'm not in the church. And so that that's why that's why I've stuck around for so far for so long is because and is that limited is that limited yeah. to the the building space though I mean because oh, what does that yeah. what does um, that mean what does that look like practically in day to day life for you Yeah, good question. Um, no, I don't think that the building has anything to do with it. Um, I've heard I've heard you guys talk about that a lot. Um, the building is just that you know it's it's just uh, some bricks and some sheetrock on the inside. What I think makes up the church is the people and the the way that this group of people can both um, be this force in the community, whether it's impacting it, um, you know, for the better or, you know, in some, some ways for the, for the worst, but that's what the church is to me. Whenever I, I use the word the church, um, I never am talking about like this building, like that has nothing to do with it. Um, if, mm-hmm. if, if the, if the building is what makes us who we are, then we have so fallen short of what it means to be the, <laughs> the new Israel, you know, and it, it's, it's really sad that that's kind of become uh, who we are for so many um, Christians today is the, the church, the building. But, but for you, it's the, what the church offers as far as connection with God and, and to each other. Yeah, is what it absolutely. Like you're saying. I mean, I know you listen me and Byron have some beef. Uh, you listened to the first podcast. Yeah. We were, we, when, whenever there's a we, I'm glad you said that, by the way, because if you would have just started talking about, we yeah. went to this, we went to that, I'm like, man, you got multiple personalities yeah. or what's going on with that? But, but me and Byron um, growing up together in the same church have some of the, the same hiccups, issues, um, you know, chips on our shoulder, I guess you could say. Um, that I think a lot of young people have. So is there still that for you? Do you still have some beef, some uh, yeah. gr- grievances? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
one of the biggest things that I, that I see, and this is a pretty like in your face, I think most um, most pastors would say that they have a, have a beef with this. That I see that is just a thorn in the side of the church right now is this idea that we have to come to church to be entertained, um, mm. and that we have to that we are coming to church to. And this this is going to sound um, maybe bad to some, but we're coming to church to get something out of it. Um, which I, I think is the exact opposite reason of why we're going to church. Like um, we should gather as a community of believers to worship God. Um, it doesn't matter if, if we like, the, you know, this is a stereotypical worship pastor answer. Like it doesn't matter if we like the music or anything like that. We aren't going there for an hour and a half of, oh yeah, let me, let me leave this place feeling good about myself. Let me, let me maybe even let me have fun. Like that's not the point. Um, and I think that's what it's become in the Church of America, in America today. And it's, it's, um, it's just disgusting, honestly, is what it is. Um, and it's, it makes you feel gross, <laughs> but um, that's, that's just what it has become. And that's, Man, that's as my a biggest wor- beat. As a worship leader, you feel that, right? You feel yeah. that in a very intense way because it's kind of put to you to be, in some people's estimations, the entertainer. I mean, I don't know if they would say that. Yeah. The showman of the church. Um, the showman, the face. Yeah. Do you wear do you wear your skinny jeans and have your hair just right so that you know? Because there's so many jokes. I don't know if right. you read the Babylon Bee, but it's I like yeah. there was that one. It's the best. It said the worship leader says, "With God, all things are possible." As he tries to put on his skinny jeans, I'm like, "Oh my goodness!" <laughs> no, oh, it's, uh, so I, it's I, I'm real. not I'm not the stereotypical skinny jean wearing. Uh, in, in fact, <laughs> uh, like my my wife has kind of told me hey hunter you gotta you gotta start dressing you gotta step your game up a little bit when it comes to how you dress because you kind of look like a slob <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we're, we're working on that but yeah there's definitely that that tension sometimes I, I feel like our church um does a really good job of understanding what worship is um mm. and and understanding that um we we have a to- we have a huge mix of generations and um understanding that it's not about the songs that we sing and it's not about um, coming to be entertained, but it is strictly about coming and worshiping the Savior that we have um, that has come for us and, you know, embodied the human flesh and, and what that means. Um, and I, I would say most of our congregation is there and, and, and the ones that aren't are on their way, uh, um, you know, and they're, they're getting closer. But um, yeah, so, it, but there's definitely that tension there as a worship pastor. Um, I want so to you, you act, jump in here oh, real quick. Sorry, um, the interesting yeah. thing about what you're talking about is like, so in the past, like if you listen to the first episode where Josiah and I talk about, we, we bear some of our grievances, where we talk about an older generation in our church, and this is specific to our church, but it does happen in other places, yeah. um, were an issue for us and the way they treated us. But we also had some cool people in there who helped us too. Um, but mm-hmm. I think the issue you're talking about is interesting because I think a lot of millennials blame the older generation for stuff. But I think the reason we have the problem you're discussing with the whole, like, we have to be getting something is something that the church itself created with different governing bodies because we have to report how many butts we got in seats every week and how many people we got to events and all that stuff Mm -hmm. that we had to say, how are we going to get more people here? Oh, let's entertain them. Let's make them Mm want to show up for all the wrong reasons so we can say, well, look at our numbers. So I think for the first time on this podcast that we're talking about our issues in the church, this one I don't think stems from the congregation at all. I think it right. stems from the church governing bodies yeah. as a whole. And it's now that that idea has infected the church. So you'll hear people talk all the time now about like, 
oh, we're church shopping. This one, the, the music wasn't what I liked. <laughs> oh, I hate that. Or the, yeah. the pastor, <laughs> he was too, uh, uh, he lectured more than, pre- his stories weren't funny. All those different right. things. And obviously as a worship leader, you get a, the brunt of a lot of that because it's just like, well, the, the music's not good or I don't like it. It's old, right. it's old or it's too young or it's too loud or whatever it might be, whatever their current beef yeah. is. But I think the problem was the church initially putting expectation on people, in particular pastors, and then we created right. the issue, which has now completely infected the church. Yeah, and, and, and I was actually talking to a, a pastor here here close to me about this the other day. Um, I think that for the, the church, uh, specifically in, in America, um, like y- y'all talked about that, I, I can't speak into any other, other context besides the one that I'm in. Um, but one of the, I think that for us to be successful in taking the gospel um, to every corner of our nation and our world, we're, we're going to have to change how we view success um, in, in our church. And, in, in, and that, that comes from the governmental bodies like you're talking, like you're talking about. Like if we're looking at numbers um, to, as, as a gauge of our success and not discipleship or anything like that, um, that's, that's right, that right there is the core of what is what is wrong with uh, what in what what's what's going wrong with with the church today for sure yeah i, I totally agree and the, the other thing I is actually, you can't there's no easy way to say i disciple this no. many people so like i get yeah, why right. they started with butts exactly and seats, yeah me too but yep. that doesn't actually matter because you have people who have grown up in the church or have gone to like i've heard stories of people who you know are in their 80s now they went to church because they got married and their wife forced them to in their 20s, all the way through their 80s, <laughs> yeah. they've never once become a Christian until they were on their deathbed. And it's just like, right. what have we done this whole time? How have we discipled this person if they actually never became a Christian for that long period right. of time? Like, that's crazy. For 60 yep. years, it didn't impact them at all. Um, and wow. luckily, something happened at the end, so we have those stories. It's a, it's a good story to tell us, you know, hey, keep trying because don't, don't quit on people. But yeah. – that's 60 years, you know, like I heard that, that basically yeah. same story in my church. I don't know, like a couple, three months ago, four months ago, like a guy who'd been in that church for years. Like, it's crazy to me. So, yeah, it's, it speaks to what the emphasis is. I I have, so I'm Hunter, you're technically an associate. So yeah. I don't know how much you have to report number wise to the, to the district leadership and Byron, you're a maybe once, once upon a time, a pastor, maybe one day you'll be one again. Can't remember what we're, how we're saying that. A once in future pastors, possibly? I I don't know. Maybe you were one once and maybe you'll do it again. We'll see. I don't know. But I'm at a crossroads. I have this tough decision that, and it goes right to this. And it's in a part of the problem is being fixing and kind of talks about some of the issues we have because, because I get it. Nonprofits have to measure success. That's technically what a church is, right? And to fit into the the culture we're in, we have to kind of play by rules, IRS tax code, um, you know, building designate, like all that stuff. We have to somehow kind of function within those frameworks. But for instance, and I, I'm not going to say too much about it because this is the crux of the issue for me. There's, there's a thing I have to report every year. How many conversions? How many, how many right. people became saved? How many sanctifications? Like, yep. it, it gets pretty nitpicky. And for me, I, I could probably report some numbers if I really wanted to be super technical about it, but I don't want to limit a person's life or a person's decision to be, um, you know, more Christ-like or to, to convert to Christianity or whatever uh, language we, we attribute to that decision in their lives. I don't want that to be reduced down to a number on right. a spreadsheet. Yes. That, 
that irks me to no end. Yeah. And so I, I don't know what to do with that because it's like, would I rather just report zeros and then, I, I mean, what's going to happen? Am I going to get in trouble and lecture because I need to be pumping out six converts a year? I, I don't think that's going to happen on my district. Right. But I know there are districts in the country that that might happen from the yeah. leadership. It's, I almost wish, um, and then there's no way for this to happen, but I wish that the stories um, that we see and that we hear were quantitative, um, like, like I, we, that we were able to count um, like in, and share the stories in our reporting instead of the, the specific number. Um, but that's, that's just so impossible to do from a, like an administration standpoint. Exactly. You can't quantify it, but that's the, that's the struggle that we live in. I mean, and that's one of many struggles right. that we, that we live in. You particular, I, I was going to ask you, me and Byron grew up, grew up in a church that was primary older, yeah. uh, primarily an older con- congregation. So there's kind of the this church traditionally does this thing. And when they say traditionally, it means like over the past 50 years or whatever. Yeah, right. I, I started pastoring an older congregation. I'm really happy to, to share that it's not just an older congregation anymore. We're actually getting a pretty healthy uh, split of young and old if we're going to talk percentages. But there again, I just I, I try to steer clear of any numerical you know metrics that right. that we just put people you need know, to assign people to numbers but still i think there's some something valid valuable about being aware of some of those things so i was going to yeah. ask you wh- is your congregation primarily an older congregation that you serve in right now uh y- y- you know um I-, I was trying to i was thinking about this the the other day I-, I i think that we probably have a pretty good bell curve going on uh when okay. and when it comes um, i would say the the biggest group that is in our church is probably uh, 40 40 to 50 to 55 um, like that's probably our, our biggest age range. Um, but we, we truly are a multi-generational, uh, congregation, um, in that we have a pretty good representation from each generation. Well, one, one gap that we do see is, um, in the college age students. Um, we don't, we don't have like a, a ton of, of college age students, but uh, besides that, I, I would say we're pretty, uh, pretty, when it comes to like multi-generational, con- we're pretty healthy in that aspect. That's cool. I, yeah. I, I was a worship leader in a congregation uh, where it was primarily older. And so I was feeling that tension of some of the older folks only wanted hymns. And then yes. The, yes. The, some of the younger folks that, that we had, they're also just as picky. And they say, we don't want any hymns. Right. Like, well, this is fun to try to be in the middle of these two polar opposite worlds. And it got yeah. to the point where... You know, they're both complaining. My favorite, and it, I say favorite because it annoyed me to no end. I had this, what I thought was a very sweet elderly woman come up to me. And it just, what she said, kind of rocked my world for a minute. She said, I really appreciate that you were trying to, to play hymns this morning. I'm like, why did you say trying to play hymns? <laughs> I was like, what, what do you mean? She's like, well, you were doing it on a guitar. It doesn't count. No. What? No. <laughs> what? And I and for a moment I had to sit there and think about it. I'm like, okay, what's the translation issue here? And I realized yeah. that you know we're speaking almost different languages for to each other. And so I have to assume you have you have learned um, some of that that you know cross generational interaction. Particularly, yeah. I mean, you work for your dad. What generation is he in? Um, so he is uh, 51. So he uh, I, he was born in 1967, I believe. So. I don't know what generation that makes him. Um, I, He's kind of like at the crux between right. Boomer and, and, X, and yep. Gen X, I guess. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I was thinking. Um, yeah, so he's kind of like a, a bridge, uh, like a bridge between two generations, kind of just like I am. Uh, yeah, so 
So in that, though, I, I don't know if you've experienced this. Just this past Sunday, I'll use an example from my, maybe it's two Sundays ago. I made a joke, and I thought everyone would get it. And it was kind of like a, I was making a joke, so I wouldn't have to say something. We had children in the congregation. I was preaching from Ruth chapter 3. If you know Ruth yeah. chapter 3, is kind of a scandalous chapter. Right. And there's some different opinions on that. And so I, instead of saying... Um, outright what could have been happening on the threshing floor, what was possible, what, what was being made available. I, I simply made this joke, and I, I want to see if you guys get it. I said, I told the joke, I said, what are the funkiest animals on the farm? And obviously I'm asking a joke to a congregation, so no one answered anyways. I said, the brown chicken, brown cow. And so, and so kind of singing that wow, chicken, wow, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, supposed to, it's supposed to paint in your mind or in your, in your head this opportunity for romantic interactions with one another right i found out later that basically everyone over 50 did not get it. <laughs> i was gonna say i doubt my parents would get that reference yeah i don't think i don't think mine would either <laughs> and there's this moment of just like oh my lanta what was i thinking like i need to tr so the the next sunday i had to unpack it i'm like okay guys that was a joke and this is what it meant <laughs> obviously kills the joke right to yeah. explain, explain the joke. it yep but what are some of the experiences you have? I mean, do you have stories where you're learning as a as a 23 year old who works for not only and he's your father, so that adds a yeah. whole another layer to that onion. Yeah. But what does that look like as far as leading worship for for even the congregants that are at the center of your bell curve that are you know mid middle aged? They might just speak differently. There might you almost have to be a translator of sorts. Yeah. Just because you say stuff a certain way doesn't mean they get it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 one one. Um, one area that I, I see that I have to really work, um, I, 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 like I said, I grew up in that congregation, so I'm really comfortable there. Um, and so I know like what references people will get and what, and what, you know, what, the, what they might not. That's um, pretty handy. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so um, I, that, that is definitely a huge benefit um, in my favor is being, uh, being able to intimately know um, the people that I, I'm, I'm able to pastor is a huge, uh, huge advantage. And that really helps. But one area that I, I really try to be intentional in is, is when talking. Um, I can't believe I just used the word intentional. Oh, my goodness. But <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Why do, why do you not like that word? <laughs> um, so I just I, I feel like I try to try to stay away from Christian buzzwords. And that is like <laughs> the Christian buzzword. <laughs> Intentionality. Yeah. We need to be intentional about how intentional we are. That's right. But um, you were being intentional. Continue. Yes, um, is, is, is when, um, when presenting them new ideas. Um, and, and in the middle of Arkansas, I'm sure you can imagine, is a pretty conservative context. Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> and really? So, so when, when presenting them some ideas that may be, um, while they are fully backed by the Bible and by the gospel message, um, may not be um, maybe something that's new to them, we, we have had to learn how to present um, new ideas to our congregation in a way that um, shows them like this is this is like this is the will of God. This is this is what we're supposed to be doing in these situations. One, one example that I can think of, of in that um, is that we had a situation in our church and on our district where um, one of our one of the pastors on our district and an individual in our church were about to be deported. Um, and. Um, with all of the things that kind of surround that in the political atmosphere, um, Absolutely, we, yeah. we wanted to be deliberate in praying for this situation and um, trying to 
pinpoint the church's responsibility um, in that in that what, what was going on there in in such a conservative context um, where there's all of these two huge like big different viewpoints we found that it was the best way to not only not not we weren't trying to change anybody's mind about what like their political stance or anything but the best way to engage them worked was to just tell the story of these individuals and hmm. to to make it personal um and to, to show them like uh, what what you hear on these on the two news outlets that you may or may not listen to um, <laughs> is is not what's going on here. Like these are these are people that we love. These are people that you know. Um, and 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 being able to say you know uh, this is the church's responsibility here. Like this is this is what we're going to be able to do without um, making anybody angry. <laughs> um, you know we we may. We may have made a couple people angry in talking about that, but trying to shape and mold them that way um, in oh. that situation. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, going back to storytelling, we were talking about earlier, that was yeah. super beneficial and, and always I mean, is. It, it paints it's so much more nuanced than the broad stroke brush brushing that that goes on on any news station right. ever. Yes. Everything is painted in the broadest of strokes. Yeah. The broadest of terms, the most generalizations you could possibly make are always made in those circumstances. Yeah. So that's curious. So, but then let's let's step it back from congregational. Yeah. Because I w- I would also have to. I mean, I can only imagine in in a staff meeting. How how often do you have staff meetings? Uh, once a week, every Tuesday. What's the age range on your staff? Yeah. So. Um... Uh, I guess I guess my dad, the senior pastor, um, is the oldest. Uh, he's 51, and then I think we have one that's. Um, I think there's two 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 people age 51, um, one in their 40s, one in their 30s, and then actually two in their 20s. I'm 23, and our youth pastor is, I believe, 29. So, so have you ever had this has happened to me? This is what I'm asking you. Have you ever had the occasion to talk about something, and maybe maybe it's like a Christian buzzword, but that yeah. Christian buzzword is something that turns into actually doing something or programming or planning or strategizing for how this, that, or the other is going to work. And then you realize that you guys are using the same word, but (laughs) coming about it as if it's two different things. They don't, I mean, has that, does that happen on a semi-regular? Does that ever happen? Yeah. What does that look um, like? You know, what I I think is the biggest, um, and, and just, steer me in a different direction if this isn't the direction you want me to go. But um, I feel like, <coughs> excuse me, one of the the biggest situations where I found that in, it, where I found that happening is when talking about patriotism in the church. Uh, oh. And, and some, something was, was brought up one time about, um, you, you know, and this is, a, this is a big issue for, I, I feel like, pastors our age, a big topic. Um, but yep. something was brought up, I think probably around the 4th of July or something. Um, you know, if we, if we were going to do something, you know, sing a patriotic song or yada, yada. And, um, we were coming at it. We were all coming at it from different places, um, totally different places. And what was so awesome about that, um, that moment was that while I, while I, I'm young, you know, and I have all of these ideas and like, I'm, I'm set on fire and, you know, I'm, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is how it's gotta be. This is right. Like the other way is wrong. Like, and, and, you know, that's how I w- was approaching the situation and the experience that came from the older, um, like the older people on staff. Oh, and they would, they would hate me for just referring to them as the older people. <laughs> but, <laughs> but 
I mean, they would hate it. But um, yeah, but the experience that came in and saying and, and the understanding of kind of meeting this middle ground of these two polar opposite ideas of what patriotism and the church looks like. Um, and, and even if it should be whether they should be synonymous or not. Um, the way that we found like this middle ground of between experience and ideology, um, that staff meeting stands out to me in a way that these generations um, were able to converse in a way that was productive and shaped the way that our church, uh, the, the, our church um, walked into like situations like that. So it ended up being a good meeting. Yeah, yeah, it was great. It started a little hot, <laughs> but it, it <laughs> yeah, it, it, it. So was there just just lots of active listening and yeah? Uh, I mean, it wasn't people trying to talk over each other, right? I just yes, that sort of discussion doesn't sound common. Yeah, no, it's not in life ever. And, and that's one thing I really appreciate. Um, and I, I don't want to sound like I'm I'm patting like my dad on the back a ton, um, but that's one thing I really appreciate from him is that when when we approach when the younger um, staff members approach him with a new idea, whether he's, um, whether he has strong feelings for it or against it or anything, he always, uh, he always walks into every situation with this open ear and, and being able to converse and kind of push back on, on people if, if that needs to happen. But that has shaped the culture of our staff and our church for sure. Yeah. So maybe just the simple agreeing to disagree sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Tracks. Yeah. That definitely happens sometimes for sure. So my, my Christian buzzword that became this, it seems like, and I think Byron had the same experience, but in a more drastic way in almost, you were in Southern Missouri, I believe, when this happened, Byron. Um, I'll share my story, but I wanted you to, to tell us about your experience too. The word discipleship, <laughs> yeah. right? So, so the word discipleship, oh, yeah. <clears throat> that seems to be, um, I, it means different things to different people. I don't, I don't totally know why that's the case but i think i started to unpack it at least in, in nazarendom um discipleship we have an actual sdmi is what is called sunday school and discipleship ministries international which yes. encapsulates for the longest of time sunday school that's that's what discipleship was and so basically what i what i was talking to with the board and with others in the congregation was the same word but coming at it from different perspectives for them, we needed to have Sunday school. And for me, I was trying to say that Sunday school is only the slightest piece of a bigger puzzle right. of what discipleship looks like. And it really came to a point because we ended up we, we ended up uh, killing Sunday school. <laughs> so, oh, really? Uh, yeah. We, so it just ended up being um, more work than, than seemed viable to put into uh we and it was just children's sunday school so we still have an adult sunday school class okay um but it was like at our nine thirty hour and the only kids in the sunday school class were my kids um on an occasion you know other kids would be there but it was just a lot of work and even just a financial investment in into curriculum and people's time and energy and what we ended up deciding to do was have a children's church hour during the service uh the worship service though it and I know, who is it, Brent or Will, that said we shouldn't call it service. The worship yeah. gathering. Right. Um, yeah, sorry, I've been formed. I'm ruining <laughs> everything for everybody now. Uh, but to have that, you know, be really, really focusedly, uh, like I'm going to use another buzzword, intentionally uh, <laughs> shape people to see that this, this, this is discipleship. Discipleship is when we gather together to help each other um, be more Christ-like, to be that bride of Christ, even if it's 
you know, it doesn't necessarily look like it has to, it doesn't have to look like a Sunday school class. Right. It can, it can look like this, or it can, it can also be going to coffee and talking to someone about their day, or it can be having people over for dinner, or it can just be intentional. Like it could be an older person taking out a younger person to eat and just letting them, you know, spill the beans of their life and just vent or, you know, whatever that looks like, it doesn't have to be limited or restricted and turn into this really big thing. But we ended up getting past it. Byron's story doesn't have that same ending. Well, I, I don't know if I'd say that. Um, <clears throat> I was interviewed, and I took the position eventually. They offered me the job, but uh, for youth and discipleship position. And I went to this interview um, with a ton of questions. Like, I had more questions for them than they had for me, which should have alar- alarmed me a little bit. But I asked them, like, what is discipleship to you? Like, what are you looking for in someone to do discipleship? Like, what do you want? And they all just gave me blank stares mostly. It was the entire board too. Like it's, they had a pretty good site, like 14 people plus some teenagers were there. Uh, most of those teenagers that were there, their parents are on the board, but they were very active. So like there's a, almost 20 people probably looking at me and I got nothing until finally one of the, um, I think Josiah calls them more seasoned board yeah. members. Yeah. The season, the seasoned saints. Um, yeah, that's what they're, they're the but he, he's saints. been in the community a that. long time and he's kind of a, <laughs> Like, I don't think he's actually like, I don't think they really, as a Methodist church, so that their boards are a little bit different than the Nazarene church, but right. like he kind of became a spokesman and just said, you know what? Like they talked about Sunday school. They talked about some of those other things. They're like, we don't really know what discipleship is. And we're hoping you could kind of teach us. Wow. And like, I, I appreciate his honesty, but the other problem is churches have to be willing to disciple. And yes. I love this church. There's a lot of good things that happen in this church. A lot of great people. It's in the boot heel of Missouri, so it's more like your area. Like, I've been to Arkansas a bunch because yeah. I lived right next to it. Um, but Didn't we say you lived in almost Arkansas? Isn't that the I think that the boot heel should either be Arkansas or Tennessee. It's right there. It's, like, <laughs> it's, like a, you, it's this weird, like, skin tag to, added to Missouri. It's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a, <laughs> such a gross description. I couldn't oh, think of anything God. else. Um, but I did, I did like being there, but they, they considered themselves the South. Like, and the thing right. is, Josiah, oh, that's a whole other what you were talking we're about. ask you before you're done. Sorry, uh, continue. But you were talking about people going out and having meals together and doing other things. The thing is, people in this church didn't understand the broad strokes of discipleship and were like clinging on to Sunday school and right. stuff like that. But those same people would come to me randomly throughout my week and say, Hey, can I take you to lunch on this day? Yeah. Like, <laughs> so they were hanging out with me learning who yeah. I was and stuff. Um, because I was the new guy and they wanted, it was hospitality to them. Right. The, mm. the Midwest, the mm. South yeah. have a very firm grasp on what hospitality is to the new person yes. or the person who's been outcast sometimes like there's, that's something we can debate, but like at times they have a firm understanding of how to take care of people who are their neighbors, who are down, who are having financial trouble or whatever it might be. Um, someone passed away. Like they, they get meals to them for a long time. Um, when there's a new baby, but like, that's hospitality. But to them it's hospitality. Right. They don't have the idea that in the church, that's also discipleship. Right. You have to yep. pour into people's lives to disciple them, and you can't do it to everybody because you don't have endless energy. You have to yep. have your crew, and then hopefully, if you disciple well, they will disciple somebody else. 
Now, the, the right. church, I don't think, was ready for that kind of discipleship. Um, they didn't grasp it. They were focused inwardly on some other things that were going on in the church. And, like, my ending there did not go well. Um, but that's not really related to this and completely. We tried some things. We, and I think for the church as a whole, learning how to disciple now involves working with other groups. Like, so we want to help somebody. We want to help. Uh, there was a, an organization in our community that did certain things. Like they built uh, handicap ramps and did other kind of augmentations to people's houses when they had health issues. Well, we wanted to partner with those people and say, hey, how can we help you? What do we need yeah. to do? Now, the thing is, I met with the people who ran that organization. Who was He was a staunch atheist, actually. Um, but he was very happy to have my help and, and, and start working on a partnership. The thing is, he was already leaning on people in our congregation who straight up told me they don't know what discipleship was. But they were in their community building handicap ramps, talking to people. Yeah. They, wow. they know how to do it. It's just the context. You have to switch it in their brain saying, hey, yep. this is not just being a person. It's being a Christian. Yes. And so in that community, it's, a- it's different. Like it, you have to understand it differently. But then opposed to like northern Arizona, where Josiah and I are from, you know, it's, it's a different concept here because our hospitality right. is there. There is hospitality here. It's just on the same level of the Midwest and the South. Yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, uh, it's contextual, yeah. I guess, in a weird way. I was going to ask you, Hunter, and yeah. this is a very not serious question, okay. but I need to know this, and then we'll get back to the serious, because this right. has been bugging me. Where the heaven does the South stop? Oh. What, what is the South, dude? Because I've heard people say that Texas is part of the South, or maybe it's part of the Midwest, or North yeah. Dakota, South Dakota is Midwest. Or, someone said Michigan is in the Midwest. And like, where yeah. the Midwest, first off, doesn't make any sense. That's well, the Midwest real. is right. not no. in the West at all. It's in the Central. Exactly. And it goes all it's the way just... to the North. So it encompasses a huge area. The South I... is – the thing is about the South, like if you go to Missouri, which is pretty high up north-wise, it's pretty north in our country. It's about the central of the country. If you go to the rural areas, some of them would tell you they're in the South. Yeah. So is but the, it's is really the, the South... Midwest. The yeah. South is not the South is not geographic. It's cultural. Then? It's cultural. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I once I once That's so uh, confusing. I once referred to myself as um, that I, I I said that I lived in the Deep South to someone from Mississippi one time, and that was a mistake <laughs> because uh, yeah. they did they did not agree that I lived in the Deep South. Um, so I, I would definitely say it's cultural. When you talk about Texas. Texas is their own entity. Like Texas is a part of nothing else. Um, they are their own. Like I don't know if you've ever heard of someone re- from Texas refer to Texas as the greatest nation in America. But yeah, wow. Uh, oh yeah. Well, I heard they can secede. I heard they can secede from the union when yeah. it's in their state constitution or something ridiculous. Yeah. So uh, while while Texas may be southern, uh, I think that they're their own their their own thing. For sure. I grew up in the Southwest, and it was called the Southwest because it was the Southwest. Yeah, right. The well, that's the yeah. thing, though. Live... If you talk about the Midwest, I think it's been called the Midwest since before there was anything in their country west of that. It wasn't yep, owned maybe. by the U.S. But Michigan? So. But seriously, Michigan? No, I get it, dude. That's that, mid- it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that, does, that is um, illogical. As far I'm as sorry, the Michigan South Anders. is concerned, part of that, too, has to do with Confederacy. Yeah. If you were a a part of the Confederate States, people call you the South. And there are people, like I said, in Missouri 
who talk about being in the South, like people like North by Kansas City, like up in the North part of the state. Yeah. That's clearly not the South. <laughs> yes. But I live, they have some I live in the Pacific. Ties, so they think, oh, we're the South. So it's just weird. I live in the Pacific Northwest. And guess why it's called the Pacific Northwest? <laughs> Again, it's because, because, in the Northwest. that's because it's I'm like the part of the newest parts of our country, though. Now we know where the West <laughs> is now because there's I'm an sorry, ocean. I, just, <laughs> I literally can't understand it. It makes no sense. Okay, we're getting off track. We need to wrap this to up. Be fair, to be fair, uh, Alaska and what? Hawaii are much further west than you. So really, <laughs> you're not true. even in the West part of the country anymore. You're the continental. But there's but a lot more moving on. Do we on. ever even refer to Alaska or Hawaii as like Western? They're just their own no, thing. Yeah, no, right. not at all. That's what I'm saying, though. They're actually further west. The best part is they're technically further east. A lot of too. people Cold. don't understand that Alaska isn't super tiny because they see it on a map yeah. and they go, oh, it's really small. <laughs> they don't understand that, that Alaska is the size of half of the continental U.S., which is yes. great. Well, the Apple—that what is? It's not the Appalachians. That's the Appalachians is a mountain range. The Aleutians, the island chain that goes off of Alaska, it actually crosses that international boundary thing, the day boundary. Yeah, day so line. Technically, yeah, technically, it's the most eastern and western state oh. at the same time, or something like that. There's some trip about. Don't, we'll get our intern. And on that's that. why you can invade yeah. Russia from Alaska in risk. It makes oh perfect sense. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Anyways, we really need to wrap this up. Hunter, I had one last serious question for you because you are yeah. uniquely positioned to kind of, uh, you know, deal with some of this stuff. It seems like you're doing a lot of work to, to be better heard, but also to better hear yeah. those from different generations so that maybe we get closer and closer to what you love about church, what you said the church is about. So if there was just something practical that either was the explanation for what you're doing or what you would encourage other millennials in particular to do to engage with, with the older generations. What would you say? What's like a final thought that you would give? Oh from man. Your own experience? Um, so uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to, to plug, plug my, my own, but one of the most beneficial things that I, that I did in, in our congregation was um, about a year and a half ago, I actually made just a four-part mini-series podcast uh, of, for just, just for our church in that I sat down and for a couple hours talked with uh, about eight individuals from our church that were a part of the, like the older generation, uh, getting some of the history of our church and things like that. Um, but just sitting down with them and, and being, and I'm going to use this word again, I'm going to hate myself for it, but being intentional about, oh. um, about like conversing with, uh, with somebody that was different than I was. Uh, th- this is not only for the millennial generation, but for everyone to talk to someone who's, who's different than them, but on to, purpose, yeah, like on intentionally, purpose. Right. Yes. intentionally yeah. talk to someone you disagree with. Yeah. Well, and, and not, not just disagree, but, uh, to talk to someone who is, who has a few decades on you. And when you are very purposeful in, in building a friendship, not, not just a, not just one conversation, but to become friends with these people um, who, who are from a different era than you and have a totally different perspective on life than you do. Uh, and when you do that, you, you uh, open a space up to where not only are you listening to them and you're, you're finding yourself uh, understanding uh, their ideology, ideology, uh, ideologies uh, more but they, that also opens the door for them to listen to you and that's like if I have one thing if, if I were to say you know every millennial or every person needs to do this to help with intergenerational um, conversations it's to make a friend that's older or younger significantly older or younger than you are and like a close friend like you go to dinner like every couple weeks or so yeah that, that's definitely what it would be awesome I love it that's great Hunter 
thank you so much for being willing to talk with us. And yeah, thank you guys. Yeah, and hang out with us. Um, Hunter, Hunter is a, a good guy. I see a, a long future of that. If, if there's more young pastors doing that in churches, I, I think that there's hope for the church in the yeah. future, Hunter. So thanks again for being on the podcast. Well, thank you all for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Well, folks, it's time. We're wrapping up this podcast. So here's a, here's a couple of closing remarks for you. Uh, if you want to engage with us, if you have ideas, if you have thoughts, questions, concerns, or even snide remarks, you can find us online at the one. Fire, don't laugh. You just told me. someone to give us snide remarks. I'm going <laughs> to laugh at that. That's ridiculous. Uh, I appreciate it, but it's ridiculous. <laughs> Proceed. You can, find, you can find us at themillennialpastor.com. Uh, you can listen to our podcast on all platforms. If you're already listening, you figured that out. You can follow us on social media, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. You can type in uh, Rev Millennial, The Millennial Pastor. Um, either one of those should, should find our pages or our profiles. But if you want to hear more about what millennials think, or you like hearing about the faith-based work they are doing in culture, then please join us next time on the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I am your host, Josiah. And I'm your co-host, Byron. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.